Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. So if I have not had the chance to uh, meet you yet, my name is Matt McCarrier. Uh, me and my family are members here, and uh, I have just recently, I guess, come on staff here as far as a uh, actual staff position. I'm now the uh, youth pastor uh, here, so I stepped in where, uh, well, thank you. Stepped into some some big shoes to fill with BJ uh, heading out, but uh, you know it's been good. It's been getting to know some of the kids and some of the families. So as I get to know you a little bit better, you know I'm enjoying that, uh, and it's given me a new uh, inter you know a new view into the church uh, as North Maine. You know just you know as you start to get into a little bit behind the scenes. So uh, again, I can speak a little bit more from experience now in that you have a great staff here who uh, who cares about you and uh, they they work a lot um, to try and make make the, uh, the wheels turn here, and so, um, yeah, they do, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, we're going to be continuing on with our Kindness in the Land series. We're going to be looking at the book of Judges. Uh, we have been, been, we just jumped into it for the first time last week, and uh, Pastor Brandon, we showed a video uh, where we looked through kind of an overview of Judges, and uh, we see this cycle throughout Judges of um, people coming back through reform and being brought back into uh, reconciliation with God, being brought back into alignment with his will and what he wants for us, and, uh, and then slowly, with usually within one generation, slipping back out of it. Uh, we'll see today that uh, the peace only lasts about one generation with Gideon, and uh, then they slip right back into it. Uh, but we are going to be looking at the, uh, the Judge Gideon today, and uh, this is an interesting passage because this is one, I don't, I, I don't know if it throws Christians for a loop. I know as a child, uh, I struggled with this passage, and I, I remember specifically, I, I've lived in a couple of houses throughout my, my life, but uh, the very first house we ever lived in, um, I had a bedroom, and I, I shared it with my sister, and we had bunk beds. And uh, if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, uh, Gideon, we're going to read through it. Uh, he, he has a fleece, like a wool fleece, a sheep uh, fleece, and he, he puts it out on the ground to, t- to try and test God in a way. And uh, we see this happening, and we see God responding. And so I remember when I was a little kid, at, at the bottom of the ladder, we had wood floors in my bedroom. And at the bottom of the ladder, there was this little, like, uh, blue rug or something so that the ladder wouldn't slip out and so I wouldn't slip when I was coming down the ladder. And I remember on several occasions being like, God, if you want me to do this, like, make that rug wet in the morning. <laughs> like, you know, like, like make, it, make this happen, you know. And, uh, and I, sadly, it never happened. But uh, <laughs> it was like one of those things where it's like, I was like, well, maybe I'm not doing it right or, or what is this? And we're going to look today having... Many years between that, uh, Matthew praying for his rug to be uh, wet in the morning and to now, uh, where I've come into this realization, and we're going to look at it today, where um, the, uh, 
looking for signs and looking for wonders and asking God for those things isn't the direction that he wants for us. It's not the direction that he wants us to go. And we're going to look at this and we're going to talk about how even in the midst of that, even in the midst of our uh, struggle and even in the midst of our stubbornness or even in the midst of our um, sinfulness, we have a God who is patient and who is loving and he's still he still walks with us. But we're going to look a bit why we're not supposed to maybe act like Gideon and, and why God still honored that, um, even when it was something that uh, maybe was a somewhat hurtful to God. Uh, but we're going to look at today Judges 6, 1 through 40. This is a long passage. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read through it because my favorite style of preaching is when we can just read through a passage and we just break it down. We just look at it and we see what can we practically take from this passage for our lives right now today here in our town of Butler or you know what town you live in. I know there's some people driving in. But what can we take from this passage, from the story of Gideon? How can we um, learn from what he's done and, and what he's experienced with God? So we're going to read through it. Judges 6, 1 through 40. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. For seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkeys, and these enemy hordes coming in. They, uh, coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived in droves of camels, too numerous to count. They stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove, you out, I drove out your enemies and gave you their lands. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in, those, in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. When the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash and the clan of Abiezer, Gideon was the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So if you're unfamiliar with uh, the threshing process, um, what they would do is there's a shell on the wheat uh, and they would be trying to break this up and then eventually they would take like a... Uh, like a sieve or like a, a sheet, and they would throw it all up into the air. And they would do it on top of hills a lot of times. So they would go to a tall hill where the wind was sweeping across, and they'd throw it up, and the, uh, the casings and stuff would all get swept away by the, the wind, and the wheat would fall back down, and they'd catch it in their thing. And they would sit there, and they'd do that over and over and over again until all that was left was the wheat. And so you see, you, we, we start out with this like really pitiful picture of Gideon um, down inside this like hole, like trying to do it. There's probably no wind. Um, there's probably, he's down where he's hidden. So like he's not being effective in his, in his uh, threshing. He's trying and struggling. And um, he's in this really kind of, I can imagine him being down in this place and just being like, God, 
what is this? You know what I mean? What are you asking? Look at what we've been brought low to. We're in these places hiding just to try and get by, and I have to thresh inside of a hole where it's not working. What is this? I mean, just picture this. You know, if he was like me, whenever I'm doing something that's like a manual labor, that's kind of a menial task, I just get into my head and I start racing and racing. I start talking to God. I'm like, God, what, you know, what is going on here? What do you want from me? And uh, I can just picture him sitting there doing this. It doesn't, Bible doesn't say it is, but the Lord approaches him. Uh, and, uh, and it's interesting, in, in verse 11 it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great, great tree in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash and the clan of Abiezer. Gideon... Son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain for the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "Mighty hero, the Lord is with you." Now that that line again, he's sitting there in this hole, not doing a good job of his job. He's trying to make by. Again, he's probably in his own head. And then all of a sudden, this person appears and says, "Hey, great hero! If I was Gideon, I would take. I would think they were being sarcastic, right?" I would look at them and be like, oh, yeah, cool, you're a good, yeah, funny joke, right? You know, and I'd go back to what I was doing. And uh, I think that's easy for, for, but God can see Gideon for what he can't even see himself. He can see who he can be, who he could be, who he was in his heart. Um, and Gideon says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Again, he takes it as, he's like, oh, yeah, great joke, very funny. Um, if I'm a hero, if the Lord is with us, why am I in this hole? Uh, and where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have. Well, before we go on, I wanted to make a quick point here. Uh, it starts out by saying that the angel of the Lord appeared. Um, a lot of times when you look at uh, Scripture, when it talks about the angel of the Lord, um, many theologians believe that that is... Uh, a pre-incarnation Christ. So Christ would come speaking on behalf of the Trinity, and uh, this was before Christ was um, incarnate on the earth. So what we have here is pretty good proof of that, because it says at the beginning that the angel of the Lord appeared and was talking, and then there it switches and says, then the Lord turned to him and said. So who he's probably talking to is Christ. Uh, and, and that's a really powerful thing, too, that Christ is interacting even prior to his incarnation, even prior to this, that um, he is in with his people, and he's, in with, uh, try, he's been among them from the very beginning. So then the Lord said to him, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon said, I, If you truly are going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring an offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat with uh, a basket of flour, and he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in the basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and a fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. 
and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that the angel of the, uh, it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. You do not have to be afraid. You will not die. Gideon built an altar and the Lord there, for the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains at Ophrah in the land in the clan of Abizir to this day. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that, has seven, that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. So at this time, um, Israel had allowed um, the religions of the other nations around them to enter into. And they had this kind of weird hybrid religion at the time. It, it lasted all through um, judges and even into the kings um, after David. And, and what it was was the main two gods were uh, Baal or Baal and uh, Asherah. Uh, Baal was a uh, god of, um, like, of growth and of... Uh, of crops and things like that. And so a lot of times to worship Baal or Baal, um, you would have to sacrifice life for life. Um, so what they would look at is they, would, they wanted um, to have good crops or to have a good harvest and things. They would bring human sacrifices, um, infant sacrifices, things like that. Um, with Asherah, Asherah was the god of uh, fertility. And so what you ended up having there, their style of worship was through temple prostitution. Um, at the Asherah pool, there would a lot of times be um, prostitutes, and it would be part of that religion to go. So they had these things intermixed with the uh, religion of Judaism, with, uh, with the law and these things. And so you had this strange hybrid that, that God obviously was not pleased with. And he says, hey, you know how your dad has um, a altar for sacrificing to Baal and the pole for worshiping Asherah? He goes, I want you to go rip those things down. Now, here's the thing is that the, um, during that time, their culture was a theocracy. So even though they didn't have a king, um, the religion of the time was the government. And so to go, it'd be like, uh, again, it'd be like to go in and to rip down like a national monument in Washington, D.C. Uh, you'd be like, walk in and be like, okay, I'm going to just bust this thing down. So we see uh, Gideon being told to go and do this. And... Uh, it says, um, let me pull that up. Uh, Night the Lord said, uh, take the second bull, uh, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering uh, on the altar, and use the fuel, and use as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you, broke, you cut down. Like God, he's always, it's funny because he is a vengeful God. When, when he is slighted, um, he does not hold anything back. He's like, hey, when you chop that pole down, you're going to use that as the wood to sacrifice to me. Light it on fire and burn it as a sacrifice to me. Uh, so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people in the town. So again, this was this political thing. It was a, it was, if I go and rip this down, it's like ripping down like a money. It's ripping down part of the government. Uh, and uh, so he does it at night with his friends. 
And uh, the early the next morning, as the people in the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. And in their place, a new altar had been built. And on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar to Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob and confronted him. Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. For them, from then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. And it's interesting I, I like uh, Joash in that moment because it only took, it took that, and we don't know where Joash's heart was, but it, it took that one moment of like realization, whereas if my son can tear down, down the altar, then it's not a real God. Uh, if it was a real God, he wouldn't let him tear down that altar. So in an instant, he's like, I believe my son, and turned, and it was just, it's a cool moment there between father and son. He, he defends him there. It says, soon after, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel, and they crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn and, uh, as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abzir came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you have promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put out a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel, as you promised. And this is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. When Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked, and the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered in dew. So, as I said, we're going to break down a little bit what we can pull from this. Our key point this morning um, is God's kindness is evidenced in his patience towards us in our stubbornness. We can read through, the, the Bible is simply a cycle of stubbornness and rejection and then reconciliation over and over and over again. It's disobedience which leads to stubbornness, which leads to breaking of relationships. God calls us back, reconciles it, and then the process starts over again. The Bible tells us that the whole world is longing for that process to end. It's groaning for that process to end. You probably feel it in your own bones. Paul felt it. He writes, why can't I do the things that I want to do? Why can't I stop doing the things that I don't want to do? 
He talks about in Romans, he has, uh, we talked about it this morning in one of our small groups. In Romans 7 and 8, there's this amazing switch where, but in 7, he is so lost. He says, why is what this world is, why am I so broken and lost, and why can I not do these things? Why am I so far from God? And then in 8, we see that upswing where he comes out and says, but there's Christ. And the thing that's really cool is that Christ is the end of that cycle. And so we have this longing for the second coming, but we're still stuck in it. I know I personally, I feel this this cycle of stubbornness and disobedience in my own life where I am constantly being drawn back into a sinful nature and I'm constantly turning to God and asking for forgiveness. And I'm asking for guidance from the Holy Spirit. And so I look at these passages and I look at people like Gideon and I, I just can't help but have a, uh, like a kindred spirit there and looking to say, like, I know this broken cycle that you're stuck in. I feel it too. But the cool thing is that we see God interacting with his people in a really, really amazing way. He looks at their stubbornness. He looks at their brokenness and he says, I still desire you. I still want to protect you. You're still my children. You're still my family. The first point that we have in here is that disobedience leads to this stubbornness. The Bible calls it several different things as you read through. Um, he talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart, if you're familiar with that. Uh, we, we, we see people who um, turn from God. We see people who are um, constantly seeking after these sinful things. And uh, and a lot of times, like I said, the Bible refers to it in different ways, but what it is, is it's our own sinful nature, our disobedience, leading us down the wrong path. And then as we disobey, we, we go down this path, and instead of listening to what God says, instead of hearing it, we, we talked about this again in another small group that I was in, where we start heading down the wrong path. We see the path is over here, and we're called by God, hey, the path is over here. And we're like, listen, it would take too much time for me to turn around and head back or to get back on track, or I'm already going down this path. And our stubbornness is just constantly taking us further and further away from God. Um, and that disobedience, um, it just leads us down that path more and more. But the cool thing, like I said, is where God interacts with us and meets us he continues to call for us. He continues to say, you're, you're heading down the wrong path. You're heading down the wrong path. He sends people into our lives, good counsel. He gives us the word, scripture, to try and keep us on that straight and narrow, it says, that path that is, and that path is not always easy. That's one of the things that we, we talk a lot about in youth is, uh, is this idea that as we're walking down day in and day out, the Bible tells us to pick up our cross and bear it. Because every day is going to be a struggle where we look and we say, what decision today do I need to make to stay on that path? What decision in this moment, how I interact with this person, do I need to do to stay on that path? And every little decision, every little disobedience veers us off. And then a lot of times we just get bullheaded and we, we say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I might be doing some of these things wrong, but I'm not doing that. And God's like, but that's what I need to fix in you. <laughs> and uh, we see that with the people of Israel. It's funny because he comes down and he talks to Gideon, and Gideon even recognizes that God is who he says he is. He says, our ancestors told us about all these amazing things that he's done. 
all these amazing things. They know about them. They've heard the stories. And he goes, but I don't know. I've not seen anything. So I'm going to continue to go the way I've been going. And you can just see God just like, he was like pounding his head against the wall. Being like, I did those things. And so that you would know that I'm a good God, so that you would listen to me. And yet you're not. And that's a cycle we can get into, you know, as people now. We can get into that in our own lives. Um, but again, the encouragement is that God wants to pull us out of that. And that leads us right into to our second um, point, is that uh, God's kindness looks like correction and reform. So he's patient with us, but the patience is his nature, right? So his kindness is evidenced in his patience, like our key point, but his practical application of that patience is through this correction and reform that he wants to bring to his people. Constantly, as he goes to the people, he's saying, I need you to step back into reconciliation. He approaches these people and says, I need you to step back into reconciliation. Come back. And I think about it, I think about my, uh, my kids, I know I use that as illustration a lot, but I, it just is, it hits me so hard whenever I'm thinking, I, I'll be walking along with my, my daughters, and I don't know, my one daughter is in that age where she doesn't want to hold anybody's hand, right? I'll go to grab, huh, no, thank you. And, then, uh, and she just wants to be her own little dependent person, and, uh, and there'll be times when we're like in a parking lot or something, I'll have her hand, and she'll pull it out, and I'll say, no, <laughs> well, you have to be with me. Because if you're not worth me, then you're going to get hit by a car. You're going to go the wrong way. You don't know, you can't remember where we parked. So you don't know where we're going. And uh, there's one time, we recently we went on vacation, and uh, we went to uh, California to visit family, and we went to Disneyland, and we got in there. If you've been to Disney, thousands upon thousands of people. It's crowded, it's packed. I grabbed my daughter's hand. No. And she just starts marching off in front of us. I was like, I just stopped. And then all of a sudden, she turned around, like, panicked. And, uh, and then I, I called her back, and she ran back. And I said, you've never been here before. <laughs> and I was like, you can't read a map. I was like, so how about we stick with me, and we'll be fine. Um, but that is the way that, that God is. He comes in, and he says, listen, you are down this path, and you are stubborn, and you are not listening, and you keep ripping your hand from my grasp, and yet I want you to not be in that situation. So I'm going to come up, and I'm going to ask you to take my hand again. And what that looks like is this reform that he brings through. He says to Gideon, he goes, listen, chop down that Asherah pole. That's him grabbing Gideon's hand and saying, come back in alignment with me. Chop down the pole, break down the altar, and change Change who you are, change your heart, change the people around you. The nice thing about this and how we can practically look at it today is that that offer is still there. God is every day reaching out his hand and saying, come with me. And the thing is, is that he made the ultimate reach when he sent Christ. He made this ultimate reach. And it's funny because if you look at, at this messenger as being Christ, it's like Christ throughout history is constantly coming to earth and reaching out and saying, please, take my hand. This could be so much different. This whole thing could be different. You could look different. The country could look different. The world could look different. If you read in Romans, it says uh, that the, the Jew will be uh, judged before the Gentile uh, based upon how they interact with the law because the Jew has the law prior to the Gentile. And we see uh, Paul saying this because he says, listen, you could influence the entire world 
You have the guidebook to do it. You could change everything, and so you're going to be held accountable. And that's where, where as Christians, a lot of times, we come into this place where we're like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm stuck in this hole, <laughs> like Gideon. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm threshing without success. I'm, I'm spinning my wheels. Everything around me is burning. We're, my people are starving. And where is this God that I've heard so much about? And he says, listen, I've been having my hand out the whole time. And I've laid out my path. And you continually run the other direction. Continually rip your hand out from mine. And he says, but I haven't given up. Here's my hand again. And I don't know, for me, as I was reading through this story, I was just really encouraged. I was encouraged by um, Gideon's, uh, his faults, because they are my own. The, his doubts, um, his struggle with direction, what to do, his struggle with seeing the world around him broken and not knowing entirely what he should do in that situation or where he should go. I felt God saying to me, listen, like, I'm reaching out to you the same as I'm reaching out to Gideon. And that's encouraging to me. And that leads me into the last point, which is we should not chase after signs. The Bible is really clear about this. Uh, we see it, Jesus himself talk about it a couple different times. In Matthew, he says, uh, it's a wicked generation that seeks a sign. In John 4, 48, he says, you'll never believe in me unless you see a sign. And he's chastising them. He's chastising the crowd that's there. He says, you'll never believe in me. He's, he's walking away. He's like, I'm not going to spend time talking to you because you won't believe me unless I give, give you a sign. And then in John 20, 29, Jesus says, you have seen me and you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. I struggled with this for a long time. Like I told you at the beginning of the sermon, uh, when I was a kid, I, I pulled a Gideon. I said, please, God, show me this sign. And even, to, even now, um, Pastor Brandon and some of the other people know that as I was going into, when we were going into COVID and we had this time of lockdown and stuff, I really dove into studying the, the Holy Spirit and works of the Holy Spirit and miracles and things like that. I, I wanted to see, why don't we see some of those things regularly in our, in our church services? And uh, I, I hungered for them. I wanted them. I said, God, if you are real, I, I need to see this. And in that moment, you know, I was being like Gideon. And, uh, and the, the cool thing is that God doesn't say, well, because of that I reject you, or, you know, you're not worthy. He, he'll engage me in that area, which he has over the past several years. He's shown me evidence of his works, and he's shown me how to discern the real from the fake. Uh, but in the same time, uh, as we are looking at this, he says, I don't want you to need those signs to believe in me. And I was trying to think of a way to grasp maybe, again, in our own today's, uh, like our human realm, how to visualize that. And I, I couldn't help but think about a relationship that a husband and wife has. And I was thinking to myself of, of my wife and our kids, and, and I thought, the situation that Gideon, what Gideon did to God is very similar to if I walked up to my wife and I said, hey, you know, Pam, um, you have been nothing but faithful and, and loyal and loving and kind and there for me through all these years. And I have no reason to doubt you whatsoever. But, you know, I just have this, you know, I, 
I'm not 100%. I, I'd like to go get a paternity test on the girls. <laughs> I'm just, and she, I'm sure she would say, what? She'd, she'd be taken aback. The reason, as all of you know, you're laughing, the reason that she'd be taken aback is because that asking is an implication of her unfaithfulness and of her lying, you know, of her, of her uh, being a liar, or, and it's me coming in. And, and so, so simply I could say, well, well Pam, it's, it's no big deal. If, it's, if, it's, if you're telling the truth, then it'll come back, you know, as me the father. So we won't have any harm there, right, if you're not. And we see Gideon doing the exact same thing to God. He says, hey, I've heard about all the stuff you did, how much you love us, how much you care for us. You've always been there for us. You were there for us in Egypt. You've been there for us, and you've never lied. You've never been false. You've always been a good God. But you know what? Uh, I just don't trust you. Um, and I can't imagine how much that hurt God in that moment. Because I can't imagine how much it would hurt my wife. That if I just said, hey, I know how we have this relationship. I know how we have been building on it for years and years and years. And I know how, you know, you love me with all your heart. I just, I don't trust you, and I'm going to need proof. And that's the first reason why God asks us not to. He said, my word should be enough. My actions that I've already done should be enough. My sending of my son should be enough. And yet he knows that a lot of times it's not. For us, we struggle. We don't let it be. And yet, so he meets Gideon in that, and I'm sure it was in a place of pain where he came up and said, man, she hadn't asked that, but okay. And Gideon does it again. And he still does it. He still meets Gideon in that point. And I think it's because God knows the greater plan, right? So he knows that this story was going to be recorded for all of history. He knew that he had this in that moment, step up and show this is my nature. A nature of being rejected and being uh, tossed aside, being doubted, and yet I'm still there. And there's one other reason, one other practical reason why we shouldn't chase after signs is because they can be faked. They can be faked, and it's a lot more easy than you think. If you believe in this, then you should believe in this other realm that is there. You should believe in evil forces and spirits that have control of the majority of this land. They have control of the powers and the people and that's biblical. The Bible says that this earth is given over to Satan, and yet in Christ we are transformed and made citizens of a new kingdom. So we're no longer held by the laws and the actions of the old kingdom. We can live in fullness and anew. And yet, so often we, we are searching, we're so heavy to look for this sign that the devil will come and be like, yeah, I'll give you a sign. Yeah, you, you, want, to, you want to know the future? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. You want some miracles? Yeah, I can make some of those happen. Sure. And we get, we get so, we, we see that and we say, well, there it is. And yet, over and over again, Christ is like, don't search after that. Don't. Because when you believe just out of belief, then you are having a more stable relationship with me. So I, I wanted to encourage you. I, I hope that this is an encouraging message because for me, it really was. It was a, uh, I got to just dive into the story. Keep reading because it does kind of end on a sour note. Um, the signs, 
obviously aren't long-lasting either. Gideon experienced all that. He saw the angel of the Lord face to face, saw the sacrifice be burned up, saw the fleece be um, made wet and dry, saw God deliver them through the battle. He makes uh, the, uh, the opposing army um, go insane. And a lot of times when we read things like that, we look and we say, well, that must be like mythology or, or fantasy or something like that. No, what they did is God had them surround the, uh, the camp in the middle of the night, blow really loud horns. All the people got up. They were, they were confused because it's the middle of the night. They get out of their, their tent and they just see other people and they just start killing each other. So their army decimated each other out of confusion in the middle of the night and God called, gave that to them. So Gideon sees all of this. He sees God's hand through it all. And then after they win everything, he goes to all the other people and he says, hey, all the treasure, they, they want to make Gideon king. They say, we want to make you the king and we want your kids to be king because you've delivered us. And he says, no, I don't really want to be king, um, but I will take uh, one gold earring from all your plunder. So if you all, everyone who had plunder from this war, bring me a gold earring that you got and put it in this uh, blanket. So everyone does, and they say it came out to be like 43 pounds or something like that of gold. He melts it all down and basically makes a little idol out of it, a gold idol that he, he puts for God, but the people begin worshiping. And when he dies, his son tears apart the country, and uh, they, they go to war, and, and it just goes bad. And, and the thing is, is that had... It's interesting that even in the midst of that, God repeats the cycle. The next, the next chapter is just another judge stepping up and saying, hey, in the midst of this. And we see God just endlessly, endlessly searching after us. As individuals like he did with Gideon and then as people groups. So I'm going to encourage you, if you're struggling, if you're in a place today where you're just like, I am in this pit threshing, I have no idea no idea what God is calling me to do. I don't even know if God's real. I don't know if he's talking to me. I don't know if I believe this. God's holding out his hand for you. He's holding out his hand. And he's saying, listen, if you get to know me through this word, through prayer, through the other people that you're in contact with here, you're going to get to live a life that looks different than everyone else not in some fancy, you're going to have tons of money and cars, but you're going to be in a place where you're walking that straight and narrow, where it's not always easy. A lot of times it's harder, and yet there's a peace to it. There's a joy to it. And that's where I want to encourage you today is let's all work that together. If, we've, if we believe that God is who he says he is, then we should be able to believe that he can do the same things that he did in the Old Testament, that he's still reaching out, that he's still searching after us. And sometimes it just takes us to break down that stubbornness that we have. <laughs> Narrow that down and just say, okay, God, you know what? I am. I'm going to step out on the limb here and I'm going to follow you. And again, the cool thing is, is that even when we doubt, even in the midst of that, when we doubt like Gideon, he says, I, I still got you. I'm here with you. I'm going to invite our uh, worship team to come up at this time. Would you join me in a, a time of prayer as we close the sermon? Dear God, we come before you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you for being a God who, in the midst of our 
brokenness, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our stubbornness, you are there. That you are a God who is willing to show us the direction we should go. You gave us the map to this life. You gave us the map and you gave us the compass in Christ and in the, and, and the Holy Spirit just to help us navigate. And God, we are so thankful we would be lost. God, and this morning we also just pray that you, um, you help us with our doubt. God, a lot of us are, are in places, um, we all from time to time get into places where we, we doubt and we struggle. And God, we just pray, give us wisdom to see through things that are fake and things that are lies. And God, give us uh, clarity in how we, we can perceive you, God, so that we have assurance in our own beliefs. And God, we just thank you for reaching out your hand. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you in the midst of our sin and our brokenness. You provided a way for reconciliation. And God, we just, we praise you. There is nothing more that you could do to show your love. And we're sorry. We apologize for the times that we question your love. That we ask for signs or we ask for more proof than what you've already done. God, we, we ask for your forgiveness and we thank you that you continue to be with us even in the midst of that. God, this morning we lift up your name and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.